The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with this episode of Benched with Bubba, a couple things to talk about. First, the Fantasy Black Book, the 10th edition of the Fantasy Baseball Black Book, Joe P. Sapia and Company. We cover all positions, strategies, prospects, and more to get you ready for your fantasy baseball season. Right now, they're teamed up with Justin Mason and Friends of Fantasy Benefits and their awesome fantasy draft guide. If you've purchased some of them, either one of them, proceeds go to Fantasy Cares. It's a great cause. Get your fantasy black book. Get your uh, fa- Friends of Fantasy Benefit draft guide and so much more to get you ready for the baseball season. Also, I'm doing work over at rotoballer.com. If you want to get part of the premium service, 10% off. Use promo code Bubba to get you signed up to get all the premium stuff to get you ready. The draft guide, the player tools, all kinds of cool stuff over at rotoballer.com will get you ready. 10% off with promo code Bubba. Last but not least, one listener league has filled. There is demand for another. I already got about five people in it. We're going to get it going. Rating and review on iTunes gets you in the league. The winner gets a 2021 fantasy black book and a guest spot on the bench with bubba podcast so show me those ratings and reviews and we'll get you locked and loaded but for now bench with bubba episode 250 bubba and the bat flip episode 26 starting pitching preview part one to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 26, your starting pitching preview part one, because we can't do it all in one. We have a lot of pitchers to go over here. We're going rounds one through 14, NFBC online draft since 21080 ADP-wise. I think I counted last time, it's like 58 pitchers or something to get you through the start of it. Some will go deeper than others, as usual. You can find me on Twitter at BDNTrick and the Bat Flip portion of the podcast on Twitter at Bat Flip Crazy. Toby, how we doing, man? We are doing great, Bubba. TGFBI started today, so that's been a lot of fun. Kind of the the first, um, not real big draft because we had barf, but like you know, one of the um, 
one of the big drafts of the season. I always love competing. It's been a lot of fun. The draft hasn't exactly gone how I had planned. Um, you know, I had kind of different versions of possibilities of what could transpire and uh, kind of the the almost worst case scenario happened, but I still feel pretty good about my team. It sounds like you're also dominating me through two two rounds, having both the better a- the better ace and the same hitter. So I'm honestly shocked that uh, DeGrom felt to me at seven. I figured I see him going as low as eight or nine and some of the, I think Clay Link got him at ten or something, or he got, got Cole at 10. ten. Yeah, it's it just shows you that's one thing I think I've talked about every year this has gone on so far. It's awesome watching how different each draft is. It really is because it's banana land, just depending on what league you show up in. It's craziness. But you are, um, as like I, I tweeted out, hashtag on brand right now with your first four picks. Yeah. So I started out with Walker Bueller. So my, in an ideal world, I would have gone vert. I have the 13th pick. So in an ideal uh, world, Verlander falls to me. That was about like a 30% chance that, that was going to happen. So I wasn't betting on it. Um, after Verlander goes, uh, Bueller is my SP4, so I don't mind that pick. And then I was hoping that Jose Ramirez might come back to me. Uh, I had pick 18, his ADP is 17. So again, not a high likelihood that it was going to happen, but he went the pick before me. So I ended up going with Starling Marte very early on, or at least what I thought was very early on. Come to find out that Todd Zola picking out of the 13 spot actually went with Marte there. So that was a little bit uh, reassuring, but I just like the batting average speed. I mean, I talk about it on, uh, all the time here. I'm not really going for value with that pick. I'm really trying to build a foundation that gives me some flexibility um, down the road to attack some, some value there. So that was good. And then uh, hashtag on brand, JT Realmuto in the third. <laughs> and then uh, I got my pocket, my, my pair of pocket aces in Bueller and then Charlie Morton. Really like Charlie Morton this year. I think if you look at the last couple years, he's been excellent. Uh, the volume has been there. The strikeouts have been there. And I think one thing that's underrated about him is he generates a really high ground ball rate. Um, I think it's like mid, mid-50s. mid I don't have it in front of me right now. Um, and he gives up very few, um, few fly balls. And as a result, he really limits contact a lot. He had one of the lowest barrel rates for a starting pitcher last year. So a big fan of... Um, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the way that I've started. I think it's just going to be really interesting who's there in the subsequent rounds and kind of, I think it gives me enough flexibility to, to have a little fun moving forward. How are you feeling about your first two picks? They sound absolutely tremendous to me. Yeah, I'm very happy. Uh, I talked about it on the Roadwire show over the weekend that ideally in the seventh spot, I love uh, Cole or DeGrom. I said, I figured it'd be DeGrom because Cole's going first. He fell to me. And um, it was funny. Thanks. Smata listened to the show. I got it. He, t- he tweeted at me the next day. So who are you taking in the second round? I know your first round pick. Cause he's, <laughs> he's, excuse me. He's picking fifth in our draft. So he took Cole mm-hmm. and then he, so he knew who my pick was going to be. So he's already asking. And then like two picks before mine, I tweeted out how, uh, Hey, it's, it's crazy looking at Stalin Marte's Marte's ADP. And like, I agree with everything you said, why you took him. That's why I took him. He's one of the last like five tool guys you got for quite some time after, the shortstops and J-Ram, it really kind of – you don't really have the, the stolen base upside with a lot of these guys. So he's been going earlier and earlier looking at these drafts. I can't wait to see what the main event looks like with him because for the longest time in other drafts or ADP-wise, he was on the turn or even in the third round. So where he's going now is quite interesting. So I'm totally happy with it. Um, Smata immediately sends me an angry uh, tweet after Starling Marte goes. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping this is a trend we get for the rest of the draft. It really make this a lot more fun. So, uh, yeah, so far so good. It's going to be interesting, though, because um, none of these drafts are alike. So it's kind of uh, the Wild West out there, to say the least. Yeah, for sure. It's it's interesting to see where different guys are going. And um, it's also great because I think a lot of people are putting – they're investing a lot in these drafts. They really care about them a lot. And I think you see guys bucking ADP – you know, a lot like just um, for good and for maybe, maybe bad, but I've seen a lot of good, like Javi Baez, all that value you were getting, like he, he disappeared in my draft around pick 31, I think. So um, a lot of my hopes and dreams went out the window earlier on, but um, yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to the next, uh, next few days and hopefully it doesn't turn into weeks. Yes. Yeah. I think you're on the right path. Mine might take a month, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, let's get into our, our starting pitcher preview. Like I said, I think it's around 58 pitchers. Uh, I took the outline on the 23rd. I'm already noticing some things are changing. We're going to try to go round by round. That's how we're going to group them instead of like five, 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 because there's some that really separate themselves like whole rounds within those five, five, five. So I don't want to be kind of, I wanted to keep them in the group of where you might be looking to draft them. Uh, so for the first round, it's the big guns. We talked about them a ton so far. It goes Cole to Grom right next to each other. And then the back end of the first round, you got Verlander, Bueller, Scherzer was there as well. Now he's kind of dropped into the 15.12. So we're going to keep him at the end of the first round here. But Cole, DeGrom, Verlander, Bueller, Scherzer, all great guys, all part of the pocket ace strategy. What are your thoughts on these big five? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think Cole is definitely my number one. I know a lot of people are pushing DeGrom up. But for me, the, the difference in strikeouts is so big. Um, I mean, you're, you're talking about, you know, about 50 strikeouts, um, I would say across a full season is the difference and that's not a negligible amount. Um, I also like the situation that Cole is in, in terms of the team around him, the Yankees are going to score a lot of runs and obviously you can't bank on wins, but the Yankees have everything you want. They've got a really good, uh, offense. They've also got a terrific bullpen. So there's no reason I, I, I think Cole should Struggle, obviously, the ALE's ballparks aren't great. Um, and, you know, Yankee Stadium gets a lot of flack, but it was actually one of the most pitcher-friendly st- uh, ballparks last year in terms of its run factor, not just the home runs, but the run factor, because it's got that deep center and deep uh, power alleys. And I think that's one thing that the ball kind of changes a little bit is at Yankee Stadium in previous seasons, you know, the, those, that short porch, like those are home runs. And if you juice the ball up, it's still going to be a home run, just a little bit further back. Whereas in some stadiums, you know, that's a, that's a fly out or something like that. And it's going, um, and it's not going out. So for that reason, I think with the juiced ball, Yankee stadium actually plays a little pitcher friendly, um, for him, but the skills are off the charts. I mean, everybody points to last year, but 2018, this is two straight years with a sub three ERA a very low whip. His walk rate last year was around 6%. I mean, a 34% K minus walk rate. There's going to be some regression in there, but there's no reason to believe he can't put up another sub three ERA, really nice whip and close to 300 strikeouts. And, you know, that is, that is just absolutely massive anchor to have on your team. And that's the reason why I have him um, number one, I'm actually struggling a little bit with Verlander versus DeGrom, to be honest with you. Um, DeGrom is obviously really good. You know, he's, we know him for the ERA and the ratios, which, you know, if you're going to put stock in something like his ERA, the thing that you really want to put uh, the most stock in, 
he is in the NL, and so that's helpful. The team context is not um, as good. Um, but, like, you know, the the strikeout rate is lower, you know, is a, at least a few percentage points lower than Verlander's is. Um, the walk rate is pretty similar. When you look at Verlander's ratios, like from a whip perspective, he's actually been better than DeGrom both seasons. He's got much higher strikeout upside. And one thing that I like to see with, Verlander is the velocity ticked down like about one mile per hour last year, but how he adapted to that was by going to his uh, secondary pitches more and his secondary pitches generate a higher swinging strike rate. They generate more swings outside the zone. And I think that actually helped his overall profile. So he actually got better as the year progressed, similar to what Cole did. Um, Whereas DeGrom does like, he's got really good pitches, but he just doesn't have the same, I think, I mean, again, like we're talking about the top three best pitchers. He doesn't necessarily have the same like um, level of dominance of, of his pitches, I guess you would say. So for that reason, I'm kind of struggling a little bit. I probably still lean to Grom, but I do think that it's very, very close. And I'd be super happy getting Verlander. I think Bueller's the guy who takes the next step um, here this year. You know, he has the nice long offseason. He's got the velocity. Um, he's got... Um, you know, a decent, decent arsenal. He doesn't quite have that 20% plus swinging strike rate that a lot of these guys have, but I think um, he can get there. And, you know, he's got that. Yeah. He's got short postseason, full spring training this year. He really struggled out of the gate. So I really like him as SP4. Scherzer, it's all about health. I love that he's already throwing, you know, he was between 92 and 95. It sounded like he topped out at 98. So that's a really good sign for Scherzer. Cause if the if the velocity's there, it was actually up last year compared to previous years. Last year, he had better skills than he has his entire career. And so it's not like he's becoming a worse pitcher. It's just a matter of injury risk for Scherzer. Bueller's got a little bit of that too. And I think that's also something that might separate Verlander a little bit from DeGrom, you know, is the lack of really any injury history. Um, whereas DeGrom always seems to have some sort of little elbow issue um during the season so that i think the way that they are right now in adp is probably what i've been tracking on uh, but i do like scherzer a lot if he's really if he looks really good during spring training then i think he might bump ahead of walker bueller for me how about you yeah the the cold to grom debates it's a, it's a good one i can go either way i kind of lean to grom over cole but it's really grasping at straws cole has done it the last couple of years it's been great to see Degrom's done it for three but like you said, we have seen the elbow injuries or issues with DeGrom from time to time. Uh, both are elite options. I like DeGrom still being in the National League and the in the NL East a bit there, given what do you have to worry about with the with the uh, Orioles for the most part. But um, I got DeGrom over Cole by just the slightest of margins. I have both on teams. I took Cole before DeGrom and Barf. I gladly have DeGrom in TGFBI. I've taken DeGrom in another place over Cole. So... It's just really kind of a, a personal preference at the moment thing. They're both very, very good, and I won't skew you either way. It's kind of like Trout and Acuna for me. Um, after that, though, I like uh, the Verlander-Bueller argument. I think it's a very intriguing argument. Verlander, people keep waiting for Father Time to catch up with him. So far, so good. Four straight 200-plus uh, innings pitched uh, seasons, and the strikeouts to well over 35% again this last year. But Bueller's that guy that if you want, if there's anybody that's going to kind of jump into that top two tier, it could easily be him. You know, 100 and um, I believe it was 82 innings last year. Like you mentioned, he was in the postseason also. He's going to have a full spring ahead of him. There should be no issue on going 200, 182 last year. 
should be no issue going over 200 plus. The projections have them for like 190, but I could see that going much, much, uh, much better there. So Bueller is an interesting one, like in an overall. I'd almost be even willing to take Bueller over Verlander just because I think he could take that next step on a Dodgers team that should just cruise through a bad uh, National League, especially the uh, NOS, who the D-backs are going to be better. But overall, not a great division. But uh, Verlander's a beast. If you want to trust him, go for it. And with Scherzer, I'm with you. Like If he keeps pitching well, it'll be great. I, the back scares me. It used to scare me with uh, Kershaw, and we'll get to Kershaw. When Kershaw's going this early, I always stayed away. Where Kershaw's going now, I'm much more inclined to take my chances there. Uh, Scherzer is a different beast, and if he keeps throwing the way he's, he's going, I'm not going to to shy away from what he's doing. He's he's got the longevity so far in his career. He's a strikeout after strikeout after strikeout. He goes deep into games, but we don't see that much anymore. Um, so I, I don't I don't mind him. I agree. Where the the ADP now of Cole Degrom, Verlander, Bueller, Scherzer to me is pretty accurate as well. Um, but I, I I have Degrom slightly ahead of Cole. Again, grasping at the straws there. And then Bueller over Verlander only if you want to go for the, the Hail Mary, which you might not need to do this early in the draft. But all five great pitchers, all five going in great spots in the draft. Really not too much to uh, to pick apart in that one. Now it gets fun when we go to round two here. we got some names that have caused a lot of uh, debates around the fantasy world. you got Jack Flaherty at pick 22, Bieber at 27, Strasburg at 28. Now it gets a little more interesting, Toby. What are you looking at here? Um, yeah, it is. It is interesting. I mean, everybody's got kind of some sort of weakness that they're trying to uh, uh, to work through in this group. So for Flaherty being the first one up, he obviously had an incredible end to last season. The second half, he was just off uh, the charts. Um, I, I was down on him earlier in the off season. I mean, my general concerns with with Flaherty are the strand rate. Um, was really high uh, last year. Um, I'm not sure that that is uh, sustainable for him. Um, I'm just getting it in front of me right here. Yeah, 83.3%. That is a super high strand rate. So it's tough to see that being repeated. At the same time, his BABIP is also super low uh, at 242. Now his career BABIP is at 254. So this may just be a skill that he has. He has the best infield defense in all of baseball behind him. So that may just be something that, you know, both his type of pitching and uh, the fact that he's got that defense um, really helps out, even though he is kind of a a little bit of a fly ball lean pitcher. He also has, um, um, yeah. And, and I think the control also worries me a little bit. Like the walk rate was good at 7.1%. But then when you look across the board at some of his control metrics, they don't necessarily jump out. Like the, his percent of pitches that are balls is not equal to what his uh, walk percentage was. So it looks like he got a little bit lucky um, with, uh, with that. But at the same time, like two consecutive years of pretty much 30% K rate, he had a 22.8% K minus walk rate last year. So there's a lot of things to look at and to like. Um, I think the major question for him, like in order for him to join that next group, he needs to develop a second, uh, really strong um, secondary pitch. He's got the slider, which is dominant above 20% swinging strike rate, um, but the curveball and the uh, lags behind that. One change he did make was going to the sinker more as the year progressed, which is interesting. Got his ground ball rate up, uh, minimized damage a little bit there. Um, And he also gets a decent amount of chase there. So 
He's intriguing to me. I actually thought about taking him in, in a pocket aces strategy with Bueller earlier, um, but I decided not to pull, um, you know, pull the uh, trigger on that. And the reason that I, he's intrigued me is I didn't realize this, but his velocity went up dramatically towards the end of last year, all the way up to 96 miles per hour on his fastball, which you're always like wondering, like, why do these guys make the big jump? And it really does boil down to velocity, which is why everybody should be monitoring Jeff Zimmerman's. Um, uh, spring training velocity spreadsheet, because that's going to give us good indicators about who might uh, really be uh, really thrive um, this year. Uh, Bieber, I, I like Bieber. I like him a lot. He's probably due some regression. The batted ball quality isn't great, but he's got the best one, two breaking ball punch in the league. A lot of the, um, he's also got one of the best uh, CSWs in the league called plus swinging strike rates. I think he was like sixth or seventh um, right next to Mike Clevenger. And everybody talks about Mike Clevenger's strikeout ability. Uh, so Bieber, I think, is, is a very solid option here in terms of volume, in terms of K. He's going to have a low whip because he doesn't walk anybody. Um, but there is a little bit of concern that he might get hit around a little bit. Strasburg, you know, he's always good whenever he pitches. The major difference from last year is volume. I do see some adjustments that he's making in his pitch mix. He's throwing the fastball less and some of his off-speed pitches more. He's not throwing the ball over the plate as much, but he's been able to compensate with that by increasing his O swing with these pitches. And so I think that is a really good sign because it means that he's not going to get hit um, as hard. But the question is, can we count on him for another 200 plus um, innings? And, and, you know, if I knew I was going to get 175 from him, he's still a pretty solid bet right there because he's never been bad um, when he's pitched. And then the last thing I'll say is that the thing that I think is becoming challenging with the pocket aces strategy is, you know, if you were in the back, like in DCs this off season, when you were in the back end of the pocket aces, right. You were in the, like, um, you know, like Verlander going around like 10 to 13, you could almost, or if you were like towards the back end, you could go with like a Bueller Scherzer or something like that, or a Bueller Clevenger. And I think feel um, a little bit better about that. Whereas now, like in my draft, all five of the top starting pitchers went in the first round, which I think is what's going to happen in March and all of the big NFBC drafts. And so when that happens, you're kind of left thinking, okay, is the difference between, you know, Flaherty, Bieber, Strasburg, and, you know, like a Charlie Morton or a Lucas Giolito, is that a big enough difference to, you know, um, uh, to go starting pitcher, starting pitcher versus, you know, waiting a little bit and grabbing a hitter there? So I do think as starting pitchers uh, push up, it's going to be interesting um, in a lot of ways for that. And I agree. I, I don't. Uh, I, I think I'd rather wait than take these three guys personally. Like that's kind of where I sit in this little realm. Like out of these three, I like Strasburg the most. I like his overall work, like pedigree, I guess. But the workload's always the question. Like we finally saw it last year. We've seen it a few different times. If we know we're going to get 180 innings, I want Strasburg here every single time. I think he's going to be absolutely amazing. Uh, if you want to take the gamble, I don't blame you. I, like you said, he's he's doing things a little differently now. I think that's going to help going forward with him. But uh, that would be my guy in this range. If you like, kind of break it down, going over uh, Alex Chamberlain's pitch uh, pitch leaderboard, it makes me feel better because Bieber is a guy I just never can get behind. And uh, I know he's been great. And you mentioned his one-two, uh, you know, off-speed pitch combo for strikeouts. It's like it works. It limits hard contact. Like. His barrels were uh, 8.7, but expected barrel 7.8. That's great. But then you look at everything else. The Wobacon is 3.75. The X Wobacon 4.09. That's a. Um, I know it's not like massive, but those little bits. 
eventually are going to balloon to me. The more and more if they put the ball in play, the strikeouts disappear. That's going to get interesting. Is 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 uh, X strikeouts were three percent lower than his actual strikeouts? So I think there's something with Bieber. He's good. He's not like, like he's still very very good. I just can't. Uh, I don't want to be taken in the second round. Let's put it that way. And Flaherty, I'd probably take over Bieber. I'm just not as in love with him either. Like what he did in the second half was amazing, but and the increased velocity was great. I kind of want to see it more. And it also, I think, I don't really trust the Cardinals this year. I really don't know what they're doing. If, if you draft Flaherty, you might be experiencing a Jacob DeGrom from like two years ago or whatever, when he got like six wins or whatever it was. I just, I'm not saying Flaherty's getting six wins. The Cardinals would be better than that. But they also, their offense is dreadful. There, there might be a lot of starts where Flaherty leaves in like a one-to-one ball game. It, it just looks bad. And uh, Flaherty also, you know, he was his, his ex-home run or ex-Ks and ex-Walks were uh, much were higher than his actual numbers. So something to keep an eye on there. Still very, very good. Don't want to downplay either. But like you said, I would rather wait till some of these round three or even round four pitchers than take these two. I know that kind of goes with my usual strategy of not taking too much pitching early. But um, I, I'm not going to go super into their their uh, metrics or anything. But Strasburg for me, then Flaherty, then Bieber, like passing on all three. All right, we go into round three now. You got Snell at pick 31, who had to take over the other three. Uh, Clevenger at 33, Sale at 36, and Luis Castillo at 38. Uh, some injury concerns, some uh, two injury concerns. One guy injured last year. Quite the foursome here, Toby. What uh, do you like on this grouping? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think Snell is a guy. So if I get like a Cole in the first round, I wouldn't mind a Cole or a DeGrom. Even a Verlander, to be honest with you. I mean, I know Snell was bad last year, but that's the type of upside play I feel like could be could work, you know, where you have a really solid rock um, that you believe in, and then you go with like a Snell um, for more of an upside and ceiling. Who knows? Maybe I'll recreate last year's team of Cole-Snell combo um, to start off with. But I think the key for Snell is velocity and health. Um, at the beginning of last year, I mean, he was virtually untouchable. I mean, he was just absolutely dominant those first few starts. Then he hurt himself, like, getting out of the bathroom on some sort of rock, you know, like, little stand or something like that. Um, and it all kind of fell apart. But still, the skills were just insane. I mean, he's got three pitches that are 20% plus swinging strike rate. And the fastball is his lowest swinging strike rate pitch at 12.5%. So just from a sheer skills perspective, he's absolutely incredible. I mean, the question is just the volume, right? Even in his Cy Young um, season, he didn't hit 200. I think he was at like 189 or something like that. So he was fairly close. It's kind of splitting hairs, but you know, just the lack of consistency is a little bit of a concern. What I'm struggling with is, do I believe in the Snell who was pitching like earlier on in the season, you know, who had like a very low walk rate? I think it was like 6% in those first few starts before the injury or, you know, his walk rate uh, ballooned after he came back. So I'm betting that a lot of that is probably injury, but when you're the lowest walk rate of your career is 9.1%, which is way above, um, uh, which is way above league average for a starting pitcher, not way above, but a little bit above starting pitcher. I just get a little bit nervous because um, I just, I, I think, you know, especially with his, with the quality of contact that he has given up at times in his career, um, it just might make it might make that whip a little bit um, 
a little bit dangerous. So I've been, I don't have any shares of Snell so far this year. I'm sure I will have at least one before the season is over, but I do think that there, um, I do have some concerns about the profile overall. Clevenger, you know, uh, I liked him a lot before the injury. I probably won't own him. He really isn't seeing much of a, uh, of a drop in value. Um, last year, his rise was really um, fueled by a two mile per hour increase in his fastball. He was throwing the ball a lot harder with plate, which played everything up. It did decrease a little bit as the season wore on and he was still really good. So that's not the only thing that he had, but I just worry about the knee. I mean, yeah, it's not connected to the, to the arm, obviously, at least I hope not. Um, but it, it's like, that's where he's landing, you know? And so I would just want to make sure like, like remember Kluber a couple years back, he had the knee injury when he just like was having trouble and getting hit really hard. I just worry about what the impact of that is going to be. And so if I have to choose between like a Clevenger and his knee versus a sale, you know, and his arm, um, I'm probably going to lean with Chris sale because I know that he can be an absolute stud, even if he only gets 150 innings pitch, not that Clevenger can't, but I just worry a little bit more about, um, you know, his injury, how recent it was, if he rushes back too soon, things like that for sale, like, Last year was just a combination of bad luck and the lowered velocity. So I'm really interested to see where he's at later on this spring. I think that's the major question. Obviously, like I've heard a few people mention like the Red Sox kind of, uh, you know, falling behind the other top dogs in the AL East. That maybe is an issue because they may not be, you know, they may not push him or they might shut him down early. But my God, like when Chris Sale is on, like last year, what did he have? He had like, 200 strikeouts and what do you have 218 strikeouts in 147 innings right so all he needs is like 170 innings and he's just going to be a stud a 109 whip even last year so i really like sale if he looks good in spring you know as does everybody else and so he'll definitely push up a little bit and then castillo is a tough one i don't own any shares of him the skills are great swinging strike rate is really high he's so reliant on that change up um, to really just um, be effective. The control makes me nervous though. You know, a 10.1% walk rate last year. I really want to steer clear of guys that have high walk rates just because, it, you know, the control's not great. The command's probably not great either. Um, and it can, we can see, you know, guys getting hit a little bit. And with Castillo, like we saw him pitch really, really well. He doesn't get many called strikes at all because he's so reliant on that changeup and chase guys chasing pitches outside the zone. Um, his BABIP was low. His home runs per nine was a little bit lower than his career average. And so I just worry a little bit what's going to happen to that ERA and potentially that whip uh, when those things correct. And so for that reason, I, I'm probably going to be out on Castillo. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting group. I like Snow the most here as well. Uh, when you really break down what he's been doing, the injury was just weird last year and kind of, like you said, zapped things away. But still, 33% K rate, second straight year at 31 or more. And uh, that's always nice to see in that situation. Um, doesn't walk a ton of guys. Uh, limits the damage by 4.7% barrel rate. And Alex thought you should have a 3.9% X barrel, which to me is really, really good, especially facing some of those lineups he's facing. Um I'll go back to him and Harvey going there in Tropicana. Uh, definitely something to get behind there. Uh, what you said about Clevenger and Snell is very interesting to me as well. Um, I love Clevenger coming into draft season. 
and it really, really stinks to see uh, him fall to where he's falling because of that injury. And, yes, it's just his knee, which is great. It's not his um, arms. You don't have to worry about any of that kind of stuff. But the fact it's his leg, it's his plant leg, he's not probably throwing a ton because he can't use his leg. That's a, a something to be slightly concerned about. But um, I still – I like his idea if he keeps falling the way he's falling. I think there's something to to go off of there with Clevenger. But uh, give me Chris Sale. I already have Sale in a couple leagues. I've been enjoying the value while I can. I'm a big Chris Sale fan. Um, I know there's the arm concerns. There's been arm concerns with Chris Sale every single season. But like you said, he went out there 35.5% K rate last year. Um, just had He seemed to be one of those guys where the bouncy ball did kind of affect him a little more than um, other pitchers. You know, I'm over 8% barrel rate, which is rather high, it feels like, for Chris Sale. He gave up 1.5 home runs per nine, by far the most in his career. You know, in 2018, 0.63, 2017, 1, 2061, 0.07, 2015, 0.99, 14.67. The ball doesn't leave the yard on sale last year, 1.47. That's quite a hike, almost a 20% home run to fly ball rate, even though he still had a 43% ground ball to go with 44% ground ball the year before. Uh, his 4-4 ERA to go with a 2-9-3 XFIP just shows you the uh, – he got long-balled pretty good last year, which I would imagine comes back down to earth. So I like Chris Sale a ton. I, I think you're getting a value because if we think – if we find out everything checks out with his arm, he's a first-round pick. He's in that Verlander, Scherzer, Bueller conflict year in and year out. So I, I have no problem taking Sale, especially if he's like your SP2. I have him as an SP1 in a 12-team league, and I don't mind it at all because I backed him up with a couple guys. So I like him quite a bit, him and Snell in this range. Castillo, big fan of Castillo. But when you look at um, good old Louie, like you said, it's his changeup that goes a long, long ways. It's fun to watch when it's locked in. When it's not locked in, it's, it's absolutely terrifying because he can walk the world. A 10% walk rate last year is really bad. Previous year, 7%, 9%. So up to 10% last year, strikeout rate was up to 29%. So struck out more than ever, walked more than ever. His K to walk rate was about the same as his 2017 number, which is not ideal. He's got to hone that in because, A, it doesn't let him go deep into games. B, obviously putting guys on base, it's just not great. He limit the home runs, which is good. He had a, almost uh, over 55% ground ball rate in 2017, a 59%. So he's, he's a really, really good pitcher. If he hones in the uh, command, outstanding. But for me, it's Snell and Sale up in here, and then Clevenger and Castillo is where I'd be looking in round three. Now let's go to round four, where we have a slew of arms. Patrick Corbin, 45. I kind of like him as an upside pick this year. You got Giolito at 49, Paddock at 50, Kershaw at 51, Nola at 54, and um, a couple guys, Darvish and ooh, Okay, Darvish at 55 and Morton at 59. So we have two, four, seven guys going in round four. This is where your your uh, pocket aces Ooh. can get filled out, Toby. Go Ooh. at them. Um, so we actually, I think we have a little bit of a disagreement, Baba. You don't like Patrick Corbin? This could, this could get nasty. You don't like Patrick Corbin, I I just want to let you know, before I go into this, I hope we're still friends by the end of this. <laughs> we always um, will be. We will uh, Patrick Corbin, I- I'm kind of out on Corbin. I don't, I don't have any shares of him. I'm a little worried about the control. Um, you know, he did all right towards the end of last year, but the control um, kind of left him. 
uh, a little bit. And I feel like I've always thought he's a guy. And again, you know, like this would just be probably confirmation bias if it happens, but like, he's just been a guy who kind of walks a very tight rope, right? Because he's got that slider and he relies really heavily on that slider um, to be helpful. So his walk rate in the second half was 9.8% um, without an increase in his, uh, in his strikeout rate. Um, and so, um, so that concerns me because he's so reliant on the slider. He does not throw the slider in the zone. So he relies on it on chase to chase and swings and misses. And it's a dominant pitch, but none of his other pitches are really that terrific. And so if, if, for whatever reason, and I think it's similar to Castillo. It's kind of like if for some reason that pitch, you know, takes a step back, I think he's going to, I think the struggles could be, um, could be enormous. And so, you know, I just, I don't like the increase in that walk rate. Again, like I said, one of the things that I'm trying to really focus a lot on is, is guys who limit walks, right. Who, who keep runners off bases. Cause we've seen, with guys like Bieber and Verlander that even though they give up a ton of home runs, as long as there aren't a lot of guys on base, as long as they're, as they're straight numbers instead of crooked numbers, like guys are going to stay in pretty good shape. And so for that reason, I'm going to, I'm going to steer clear of, of Corbin um, this year. Uh, love Lucas Giolito. I think, you know, every podcast has said it, but the skills support everything he did. He actually got better as the season progressed. I think the one little bit of concern is the batted ball quality. He gives up a lot of fly balls um, in a not so great ballpark. Um, but I mean, he's been absolutely dominant. So I'll be monitoring the injury. It doesn't seem like it's a big injury that he suffered earlier on in spring training. I think the key for him is velo because that was part of why he was successful. That change in mechanics, the velocity bump, but he's got two great pitches in the slider and the changeup and the four seam fastball is also awesome. Um, and so if that velo reading is really nice this spring, I mean, hop on board. I think he's a terrific second ace, uh, to couple with, um, with anybody, you know, that you get in that first round there. Paddock, ah, is a tough one for me. I've been out on Paddock for, since the beginning, it's the lack of the only get having two pitches, you know, the curve he's working on it in the spring. But again, I think what we're going to come across a lot in these pitchers that we look at is guys that need to do something different to take that next step. And so it's hard to bank on people doing things different, right? It's kind of like, like when we get to Syndergaard, it's like, will he stop throwing his sinker? You know, like, will he start throwing this forcing fastball more? Like I would love to believe that he's going to do that, but we're also taking a leap of faith and believing that that's going to happen. And so if that's what somebody needs to be successful, you know, obviously Paddock was good last year. He was, he wasn't great. But he was also super lucky. I mean, at 237 Babbitt, the control is great. That's one of the things that I love about him. He does not walk guys. But the question is just like, you know, I feel like he needs to do something different to take that next jump. And I'm not sure until I see that curve being effective, whether that's going to be the thing. Kershaw is great from a ratios perspective. I feel like he is like a pretty solid, you know, second ace to take. I think the limitation... um, with Kershaw a little bit is the strikeouts. I mean, last year in 178 innings, his most in four years, he only put up 189 um, strikeouts during that period of time. His walk rate uh, also went up quite a bit um, as the season progressed, but he's just so smart. Like he just will adjust his pitch mix and, and be successful one way or another. Like I think the ratios will be solid, um, but I think the strikeouts may be leaving a little bit 
to be desired compared to some of the other guys that are going in this range. I think Nola's gotten a really, um, he's gotten a tough, he's just gotten it tough. I feel like, um, you know, like nobody really likes Aaron Nola, you know, he's, he's one year removed from going in the second round. Um, but you know, I think he's a better pitcher than what he threw last year. I think he struggled about as bad as he's going to struggle early on in the season. He really rectified things. And when you look at the numbers year to year, the walk rate is really high. But when I was looking at guys who were kind of outliers in terms of their called plus swinging strike rate minus ball percentage, Anola was a guy who was, who was kind of out of whack. Like he should have had a much lower walk percentage and the strikeout rate could have even been higher. And so I expect that to kind of write itself. And I feel like he may actually end up being a value, although I will be honest and say I don't have any shares, largely because I've already got two starting pitchers by now. So I'm just kind of bypassing um, him. But two consecutive years of 200 innings pitched, two consecutive years of 200 plus strikeouts. Like he's a very solid option as, a, as an SP2, I think. I wouldn't want him as my SP1, but you know, you could do worse. Darvish is a guy I think I'm less in on than a lot of um, – a lot of other folks, he had that amazing second half and there were clear reasons why he did that. But I think the thing that has always been difficult about Darvish is consistency. The last four years, his ERA has been 341, 3.86, 4.95, 3.98. Um, the whip has not been lower than 1.1. One, one. Um, the strikeouts have been okay, like on a per inning basis, but he just hasn't been healthy. And so you have questions about health. You have questions about consistency. Last two years, 1.66 home runs per nine, 1.58 home runs per nine. Um, so yes, like is was he awesome in the second half? Absolutely. Does that appear to be sustainable? I don't think it is at that level. And I think there's too many other concerns where I'm probably not going to buy in on him at that price. Although I do think he is kind of a back end of like the aces that I feel comfortable with. He actually is probably the last guy that I would feel comfortable with. Um and Charlie Morton is a guy that I think is way undervalued. Um, Morton, like, he's just been incredibly consistent over the last few years. Um, he's on a very good Rays team that is going to win a lot of ball games. Um, he's got a number of pitches that induce a high ground ball rate. So his ground ball rate last year, oh, I guess it was only 48%. It must have been in the second half where it kind of spiked. Um, but doesn't give up quality of contact. Um, three consecutive years at a 3.62 ERA or um, lower. Um, the whip has been solid. Tampa knows how to get the best out of their pitchers. I feel really good about him. And that home run rate um, has not been above one since 2010. And so I think that's also super helpful. Highest uh, career K minus walk rate, 23.2% last year. Highest career swinging strike rate. Um, I really love Charlie Morton. He's a guy that if I miss out on, like I did in TGFBI, if I miss out on, if I don't get a, a starting pitcher in round two, then he's the guy that I'm going to be targeting probably in round four. Yeah, it's it's an interesting grouping. Corbin, like I don't disagree. The slider usage increase is terrifying if it stops working. But I look at also the the uh, increase in, in the hard hit rate and everything. And you look at the, the barrel rate of 9.4%. He has a X barrel of 6. Point, that's a 2.7% difference. That's rather large. That's a, a big grouping of what just happened and maybe unluckiness there. But yes, I, I don't disagree that there's concern, but he's been a great ground ball pitcher his whole career, 49 and a half last year, 48 and a half, 50%, 54% the year before. So he gets ground balls. His strikeout rate continues to improve year after year. Last year, going up to 28 and a half percent after 31 the year before. So really elite stuff in those regards. 
Sure, he's walking, guys. The walk rate keeps going up uh, 8.4% last year after 6% the year before. That is not good. I'm not going to disagree with you there. But uh, the overall numbers, if you give me a 3.25 ERA and a 3.59 XFIP, I'll gladly take those in round four all day. As I think it's very it's very much uh, duplicable. Or that's probably not even a word. I probably made one up there. But uh, it's going to be like 30. I understand. Thank you. Pre- <laughs> Thank you uh, descriptive I- versus prescriptive language. There you go. Yeah, I didn't know where I was going with it, but it, it sounded good at the moment. Um, he's going to be 31 this year, so still not super old. He's got Strasburg and Scherzer with him, so he doesn't have to be the ace. I'll, I'll, I'll go back to Cor- Corbin again this year. Uh, G. Lato's great. You don't really have to exaggerate too much more on that. Like you said, everyone's talking about him. He's easily at 30, almost th- uh, 32.5% K rate last year, only 8% walk rate. Uh, really, really good stuff with G. Lato's. Keep the ball in the ballpark, please. That'll help out a lot. Uh, then I'm with you on Chris Paddock. I am uh, AKA we're not on Chris Paddock. I just, I can't do it. The, uh, the pitch mix scares the snot out of me. Um, yeah. I'm not worried as much about innings this year as I was in past years, but there's still something weird with Paddock on where he's going compared to these other pitchers here. Um, the projection site still only have about 166 innings, uh, not really an increase in the strikeouts uh, at all with him. Still going to be a, a mid-three ERA guy. I'd rather go to Patrick Corbin in that scenario or uh, take a chance on, on a Clayton Kershaw who, like you said, he's he's getting crafty. That's the way I look at him. He's getting crafty. He's turning into like a Tom Glavin, Greg Maddox out there. He's a pitcher, not a thrower anymore. He's uh, 31 years old, fresh, will be 32 in March. But what he keeps doing is darn impressive with the pitch mix because it's not nearly as dominant as before. There's still 16 wins last year, near, near 10 Ks per nine. 303 ERA is outstanding. Even in that bouncy ball era, he, he got it done last year because he's not uh, walking the world, letting a lot of guys on base. 5.8% walk rate last year, below 5% the previous two years. I'm a Clayton Kershaw fan. I hinted at it earlier. Uh, I got no problem taking 100 and see 100. Even after all the trash talk last year, still through 178 innings. It felt like he threw 150 everywhere you read. Like he's that good still. 161, 175 the previous two years. Uh, projection sites have him for 190. Not sure he's going that far, but I guess anything's possible. If he gives you 190, this, uh, to me, is a great pick with Clayton Kershaw. Uh, Noah's very sneaky. He's got that, you know, a pretty good ceiling, pretty low floor. Could go a lot of different directions, like you said. I'm buying into you, Darvish. I love what we saw the second half last year. For anybody that buys into uh, Jack Flaherty, it's hard to say no to, to, to you, Darvish, to me, because they have a lot of similar arguments. Uh, in what I look at. So I'll, I'll be buying in the Darvish's price continues to rise, which stinks. Morton's a good pick as well. Both really good strikeout guys. Don't uh, walk a lot of people uh, and keep you out of trouble. For me in this range, it's Kershaw and Corbin are my favorite two with uh, Darvish right behind them. But uh, really good options, really good second choices to your pocket aces, Toby. So definitely something to go to in this range. All right, round Five. We have Cindergard at 63, Granky at 68, and uh, Glass. Glass? Oh, Glass. No, I told you that pick 60 on the dots. Okay, okay. we can just Ty- skip over Glass now. He's not Tyler working. Glass now. Yeah, he's he, he talked about polarizing. He's one of them as well. <laughs> but uh, what about these three for you? Yeah, I mean, uh, the one that interests me the most of these three um, is Cindergard. I mean, Granky, like. God bless him. Like he just keeps on making it happen. Um, and I think the big difference between him and a lot of the other guys is just the strikeouts again, similar to Kershaw. Like I know 
you know, it's like one like two fifteen, one ninety nine, one eighty seven, and two hundred eight innings pitched. He's obviously just found a way to to pitch. I mean, he's just absolutely incredible. Doesn't walk guys, so he's definitely helpful. But I think the challenge is is that you do fall behind a little bit on the Ks. If you're grabbing him as, here as your SP two, and then other people are grabbing guys um, that we've talked about before, like I think you're you're losing a little bit of a uh, little bit of ground in the strikeout department. Um, I've seen some people like my only challenge is with guy when guys take like Granky or Kershaw as their SP one. I just think it's really hard um, to make up that that strikeout difference and just the the yeah mostly the strikeouts. But um, you know, there's obviously ways to do do it and and um, and be successful. But you know, again, like I'm probably just out on Granky here. This is like the period of the draft where I have my two aces and I'm kind of skipping over a lot of the guys that are here, but you know, everybody thinks that every year is going to be the year that Granky falls apart and he just keeps on doing it. And he's in a good situation with the Astros. So who knows? He could be, he could be really solid. Um, glass. Now I'm, I'm going to skip. I'm, I'm not going after glass now. I mean, with, with where he's going in drafts and like the volume that you can really expect, like, you know, his, his, um, most innings pitched in like an entire season is 124. So, and that was back in 2014. So what are you banking on? Like 120 innings, something like that. Um, I've seen a bunch of analysis that shown how out of whack his strikeout rate is with his swinging strike rate and his CSW. Um, The K minus walk rate at 27% um, also seems out of whack. The Babbitt's low, the strand rate is high. Obviously, the velo and the stuff is absolutely incredible, um, but I just think that there's regression coming. There's a limit to the number of innings that he's going to pitch, um, and so I would just stay clear of him. Syndergaard's super interesting to me. Like I wouldn't mind him as my SP two as long as I had something like a Carrasco maybe to back it up. Um, you know, it's just a question of whether he'll ditch that slider. Like if he ditches that slider, he could be absolutely um, incredible, but. Um, he will probably stick with it because he throws it a ton. And so it would take a very large um, pitch mix change in order for that to happen. And I don't know whether it's coaching or not. I know they've got a more analytically inclined coaching staff um, now. Thank God Mickey Calloway is gone. I thought he was going to be analytically inclined. Um, But it's just, um, you know, it's just like you're kind of banking on that happening. And the question is, do you want to use this pick in order to do that? The reason I feel a little bit better about doing that with Syndergaard is that even when he has been not as good, he's not terrible. Like even last year with the four two eight ERA, still two hundred strikeouts. Um, you know the the FIP and the um, uh, xFIP slightly lower. So even when he's bad, he's not that bad. But still, like I probably won't be targeting him that much in drafts. Maybe I'll have a share or two. Yeah, I'm with you on glass now. I want nothing to do with him. I'm good just watching him do whatever he's going to do. Stuff's great. Just don't know how much of it we're going to see. So I'll pass on that one. Uh, Cindergard is really intriguing to me. I like the massive upside with him. Like like they say in Major League, just throw him the heater. Just throw the heater, buddy. Like just do what you do. You, you have some great stuff outside of that slider that you just seem to throw right over the plate for base hits with two strikes all the time. So uh, if you can figure that out, it's really tilting that – a guy with his stuff only has like a 24% K rate year after year. He should be in the upper 20s, low 30s. It feels like he should be like Verlander-esque at times out there. 
with the stuff he really does have, just doesn't utilize. But with all that said, 2.9% X barrel, he does, definitely limits the damage, which is good to see. So I don't mind taking a shot on him. I think he's very, very interesting at this point. In years past, we drafted him a lot higher. So good to see him this low. Uh, Zach Greinke is a guy I am always intrigued by. Just for the fact that, you know, certain people talk innings eaters. Over 200 innings in three straight years. He had 158 in 2016 and then back-to-back 200s again. He is an innings eating machine. Now, yes, he doesn't strike out the world. 23% K rate for the most part the last couple of years. But um, the ratios are elite. 293 ERA, 374 XFIP isn't great, but the ERA, 293, 321, 320 the last three seasons. Um, it's scary because he's not overpowering, but similar to Kershaw, he's a pitcher. He really, really knows how to work the system well, doesn't walk a ton of guys, which is great, limits the damage, and like I said, eats innings out. He's going to give you massive ratios. I guess the counter-argument to Zach Granke is why not wait and get Kyle Hendricks later if you just want ratios and no strikeouts. I get that. I guess it's just I know Granke's got that Cy Young upside that he's had before, maybe not as much in this era as he's gotten older, but we've seen it from him where Hendricks – Every once in a while, it gives us an interesting roller coaster ride. So that'd be my biggest difference there. But I, I don't mind Granky if you want some stability in your staff, so you want to take some chances later on, or you took some chances earlier on. Granky's not a bad move. I'd probably rather Kershaw over Granky, that's for sure. But in this group, you know, I like Syndergaard quite a bit. I think there's a lot to like in this range with Noah, and uh, I'd take some chances with him for sure. All right, round six coming up here. We got Brandon Woodruff at 80, Trevor Bauer at 80 also. Uh, Jose Barrios at 82, and that wraps up round six. One big, there's a couple big names here, but Woodruff's a popular one, Toby. What do you say on yeah. these three? Yeah, I'm totally out on Woodruff. Um, I think there was like this really long Twitter chain with a bunch of different people talking about Woodruff. He has just a huge discrepancy between the underlying skills, the CSW, the swinging strike rate, and the strikeout rate. The strikeout rate was near, um, I think it was at or above 29% last year. Uh, Let me just get it. 29% strikeout rate on an 11.6% swinging strike rate. And the CSW was a much better. I think he's due a ton of regression. He also got hit a decent amount, um, uh, hit hard a decent amount. Doesn't really have like the secondary pitches. He's got a lot of velocity. Um, He's got the fastball. Um, but, you know, no pitch, one pitch with above 15% swinging strike rate, the change at 15.7%. That's the pitch he throws the least. So he's really relying on his four seam um, and his slider to generate whiffs. And they really just don't do that. So a lot of balls and a lot more balls in play, I think will take place this year. I think you'll see some regression hard. So I'm not in a, uh, on Woodruff at all where he's going right now. Um, Bauer, like the volume should be there. I'm interested to see where his velocity is. He fought, um, different, um, ailments last year, it sounds like, but again, like when you look at his career arc and you look at uh, what he's done in different seasons, 2018 is the clear, uh, outlier of those. And so he seems like he's kind of the four ERA guy with, um, some decent strikeouts, but, um, I think the possibility of really blowing up that whip because he gets hit really hard. He gives up a lot of fly balls. And so the home runs can be problematic. So I'm kind of steering clear a little bit uh, of him there. And then Barrios is just kind of like slow and steady. Like it just feels like, Oh, I'm going to give you, give you like, I don't know, like a three, eight ERA. And 
you know, a one, two whip and about a strikeout an inning. And that's kind of like what you're going to get. I don't see a ton of upside just because he doesn't have the pitches or he hasn't shown the ability with those pitches um, to do that. Like his curveball was all the rage, you know, when he was coming through the minors, but it's never registered a 20% swinging strike rate. It was 12.2% uh, last year. His changeup actually um, drew more swinging strikes. So I just feel like there's a pretty firm ceiling on what he's able to do unless we see a major change, like a couple miles per hour bump in velocity from him. So of this group, I'm probably just passing on them um, overall, just skipping them. This is These are the type of guys, this is why I do pocket aces, is guys like this, where you're like, oh, well, there's a good chance that he's going to be good, and there's also a good chance that he's going to be awful. And so that's why I do this. It's kind of scary when you look at Jose Barrios last year, an 11% swing strike rate on uh, all pitches and a 18% called strike. So he's relying a lot on called strikes, which is kind of terrifying to think about, at least when I look at pitching. Like, I want guys I know that can put guys away by overpowering them a little bit. He's not really doing it. And I, I like Jose Barrios because, you know, he goes deep in a game, 192 innings in the 18, 200 in 2019. So he's giving you what you want, a sub four ERA, three straight years. All really solid things, but doesn't strike anybody out like you're saying, which is uh, quite concerning. K to walk rate or K to walk percentage of only 17%. That is uh, not elite by any means. So that really makes you kind of wonder what's going on in that scenario. But he's, he's an interesting play. He's like a Granky light in theory to me. Like Granky, I trust a lot more with the consistency where Barrios, maybe not so much, but Barrios looks like he's kind of year after year, the more he builds his uh, resume. It's kind of resembling Granky's in a weird, weird way right now. Um, Trevor Bauer is the one that interests me here. Only if you're willing to take a chance. That's what I'm saying. Only if you're willing to take the chance because it's tilting. Like you said, he might just be a four ERA guy. Might just be who he is. But I, I'm willing to see a full season in, in uh, Cincinnati with his boys. I think he's a man of uh, – circ- well, circumstance might not be the right word, but he likes his uh, – he's a creature of habit. And mm-hmm. – I think having his guys there in his back pocket, in his ear at all times, could be quite interesting. So it's it's nothing for sure. This is more just a hunch, like a gut thing. Nothing really to go about it because if you look at all of his numbers, everything you mentioned, it's bad. But last year, he you know he's well, 2016 through 18, 44 to 49 percent ground ball rate. It went to 38 percent last year. That's quite a jump. His um, home run to fly ball up to 15 percent from six percent in 2018, given 2017, not great either. But, uh, the, you know, more fly balls in the bouncy ball era, not ideal. Maybe he lowers it back, uh, gets the ground balls going some more. Could help out a ton. It is not a great ballpark for the fly ball either. So keep that in mind. But Trevor Bauer is something that kind of interests me if you want to get weird. I'd rather try a gamble on Trevor Bauer than Brandon Woodruff. I just – I don't get the Brandon Woodruff love outside of, oh, look, he throws the ball hard and gets guys to strike out a lot. Yeah, there's, there's a lot more to what's going on there than, than that. Like, it's great. I like a guy that strikes out a lot of guys. I'm not going to to harp too much on that. But um, there's still a lot to concern because, you know, everyone gets excited. 28.9% K rate. Trevor Bauer had a 27.7. Really nothing too crazy there. Bauer just walked a boatload of guys last year, and he usually doesn't walk that many. So little things like that. Uh, Woodruff did limit the hard contact and barrel rate last year. I, I don't know how long that's going to sustain either with the pitch mix like you mentioned that he has. So I'm with you. It's either pass or take a gamble on Trevor Bauer. Or if you really just want steadiness but nothing flashy, you have Barrios, 
but there's really not a lot of fun fantasy-wise if doing that. So in the end, Toby's likely right, like usual, probably just pass on the situation. <laughs> I agree with you, though. Bauer would be the guy out of those three that I would take. All righty then. And apparently, no, it's Liam Hendricks. Thank God I freaking got that right. All right, let's uh, go to, I almost thought I'd put Kyle Hendricks and missed him. Like, okay. Uh, round. I would draft seven. Kyle Hendricks yes. right now. We know you and you, you, I think you, did you get him in Barf? I can't remember. No, I didn't. I was super no. pissed off. I think we were all talking about him. Yeah, it's just one of those things where the projections had him super low and I hadn't done enough prep so that I had him identified. And then it was like, oh my God, I'm totally forgetting about Hendricks. And it was too late because uh, Matthew Davis, I He's said it right. It's not, right. Ma- it's not Matthew Wood. It's Matthew Davis. I'm sorry, <laughs> Matthew. Matthew Davis uh, snuck him. I got him for me. So. That's right. Uh, let's head to the round seven where just in 24 hours, we have the biggest change, I think, so far in ADP. I originally had it Severino, Kluber, Gray. Now it's Sonny Gray at pick 100. Corey Kluber at pick 101. Severino is technically a 106, but we'll keep him in here just for outline's sake. Round seven, and Severino's going to keep falling. He's gone as low as 202 in the last two weeks. So that free fall has continued. Um, Severino, Kluber, Gray, and for Severino, how late is late enough for you to take a chance on him? Never. Yeah, I'm not taking him either. It's it's very simple. Harry Potter gif. Never. <laughs> um, well, I've I've never been a big fan of Severino's. I was a big fan of his coming after I think 2017, but I owned him in a lot of leagues when he just got torn up the second half of 2018. And I've kind of steered clear after that because when I looked under the hood, it was like he's got a slider that everybody thinks is awesome, but it's never had a swinging strike rate above 17. percent So it's not a truly elite pitch. His changeup has been good one year. Um, and his um, fastball, while having a decent amount of velocity, actually gets hit a decent amount. And so I've always kind of steered uh, clear of him. Um, so this just gives me a good reason to do that. And whenever he gets injured, I'm not that bummed out, except for people who, um, you know, like I like and respect on Twitter who, who draft him, but I never have him on any of my teams. Um, and I would steer clear of him even if he is, uh, even if he is healthy. Um, so he just like, doesn't really enter my frame of possibility, I guess. Um, so, but yeah, this group is another example of like why I steer clear of these guys like Severino, I think, you know, is what he is. I think Corey Kluber, his fastball's going and I just don't know if he's going to be able to be the same pitcher. Like he could be good for sure, but he could also be uh, God awful. And I wouldn't be surprised either. Um, and then I think, uh, Sonny Gray, the third group person in this group, like he's a clear example of a guy who has, should have a ton of regression coming his way, you know, 255 BABIP despite a 280 career BABIP. Um, he had a 9.6% walk rate after 9.8% in 2018. That's way too high. His strand rate was about 7% higher than, um, his career, um, and about, 10% higher than it has been for the last couple years. His K minus rock rate was 19.3%, but that it, somehow he had a 29% K rate, you know, despite having, um, you know, which is about 7% better than anything he's done since his rookie season and 11.3% swinging strike rate. His first pitch strike rate is low. His zone rate is low. His O swing rate is low. Like there's just a ton of things that are just blinking. Like, you know, this dude is due some regression. 
Um, and so I'm staying clear of Sunny Gray as well. I think if you buy Sunny Gray here, a lot of it, a lot of it is an example of I think you're buying last year's stats um, because I, I think you know there's he's definitely better than he's been in previous seasons, but he's not as good as the stats show from last year. Yeah, I, I got no problem taking a chance on Sonny Gray. I don't disagree with anything you said either, which is terrifying because the more I look at stats while you're talking, it's um, pretty scary to see what he's actually doing there. Uh, it, it's, his pitch mix is very interesting. I'll say that much. His fastball, his cutter, and, and, and his slider, but um, it's it's very, very terrifying. A massive called strike guy. I'll say that much. A major call strike guy. His four seam, a 21% call strike, 7% swinging strike. So he's relying on a ton of that help. The the curveball, I think it's a curveball actually, 21.8% call strike, 12% swinging strike. Um, please forgive me. I don't know what he's using, FT. Uh, oh, that's, that's a two-seam fa- two fastball. Oh, I would have called it 2FT. Uh, that's me. That's 23% call strike, 9% swinging strike. So like he's super. The slider's the only thing he's got a swinging strike rate. That's, that's decent. It's it's really worrisome, actually. The more I look at that, the more I'm like, oh, boy. Like he's really – Really doing well on uh, getting guys looking, which is uh, something to look at going forward because he walks a ton of guys like you're talking about. Striker rate was up last year compared to normal, but still kind of terrifying. Um, I don't mind him just because he limited the hard contact. Gave him a lot of hard a lot of contact, but limited it. So I, I can go with it there. But you are right in saying that he's that you are probably paying for last year's stats, which is uh, not what you want to be doing. At least it's round seven is the way I'd look at it. That's something to uh, – to keep me a little bit happy in that scenario. Um, uh, over, over his last 10 games, he mm-hmm. was had a 12% walk rate. That's horrible. And, and his called plus swinging strike rate was 30.8% last year, which is good. 28.5% or 6% is about league average. But like he has the same strikeout rate as uh, Shane Bieber, who had like a 33% uh, CSW. So that just shows you, I think, how he's been very fortunate. Sorry to interrupt. No problem. No problem. No, he has been like, that's why I said the more when you talk, I just start scrolling through all the different stats. I'm like, oh, that stands out more. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, that's not as good as I thought it was. But uh, Corey Kluber is interesting to me because last year was just horrific. It, it wasn't great. He was, well, it was mainly horrific because he got hurt and never really came back. So that really stunk. Previous uh, five seasons, over 200 innings pitched. So you might get some longevity this late in the draft. You know, before last season, an ERA of 289-225-314-349-244. That's outstanding. Uh, you're thinking round seven. You're not looking to draft an ace. Hopefully he's your three or your four. He's going to uh, Texas climate-controlled environment now, which could be interesting to take a chance at. Um, I, I don't think – I'm not going to say he's the ace he was before. You're not drafting that. But if you're drafting a number three guy, I think there's some interesting upside there. Like if you're into a guy like Trevor Bauer – I think there's same upside, if not more consistency, with a guy like uh, Corey Kluber. So I don't mind him if you're picking anybody out of this round seven grouping. Otherwise, it's tricky. And, yeah, Severino, no dice for me. He's uh, going as low as 202 now. He can go as low as whoever else wants to take him because I will not be. It's that plain and simple. Round eight, we got Soroka at 106, Carrasco at 110, Zach Wheeler at 112. It's uh, this is a grouping I could enjoy all three for all I really care. They're all solid to me. What do you like here? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a big Soroka fan. I kind of fall into the camp of, you know, the strikeouts aren't um, great. Um, he suppresses home runs tremendously, which may be a skill. 
Um, but to the extent that he has, I don't know if he can continue that. You know, the BABIP's also pretty low. Like you look at the K minus walk rate, it's league average, 14.4%. Uh, you look um, swing strike rate, 10.3%. There's just not a lot, I think, to love in this profile. And I think the biggest problem with this, and I'm not the first person to say it, but um, is just that like Soroka is going ahead of Kyle Hendricks and Kyle Hendricks is the guy at contact management. He's been incredible for years and years and years. And yet Soroka is going way ahead of him for some reason. I'm not exactly sure. Um, but I just, you know, like maybe Soroka is the next Hendricks. Like that's a great comp I think people are making, but I'd rather pay for Hendricks, who's done it for a long time, than pay for Soroka here and hope that that's the case because, you know, I just don't see him being able to, um, you know, reach that ceiling of like a higher strikeout guy because, you know, his sinker and his four seam just don't generate enough, con- you know, like his sinker has a 5.4% swinging strike rate. So that swinging strike rate is never going to be that high, even though he's got a good slider and a great changeup. Like it's just, uh, it puts a little bit of a floor or a little bit of a ceiling on him. And so I'd rather just wait and pay for Hendricks in the spot. Um, Carlos Carrasco, I love where he's going. I was a little bit nervous about the injury. Obviously like his body needs some time to, to heal a little bit, but I don't see a reason like why, um, you know, why, like, if he's healthy and pitching, which I assume if he's pitching, he's going to be healthy. He can't be really good. Even last year when he was battling leukemia, right, like his swinging strike rate was still 15%. He still didn't walk guys. He hasn't walked guys for a long time. You know, he strikes out guys at a decent clip. Uh, I expect him to be the same guy. I think the key will just be monitoring that velocity because he's actually a good comp for Bieber, I think, because you know, he's looks a lot like Bieber, right? He's got two uh, totally dominant off-speed slash breaking pitches and a very hittable four-seam fastball that's never been good. But he's been able to turn that into, you know, him being a very good pitcher. And so he's a guy that, like, if I'm looking for a high-end SP3, um, I would be looking at a Carrasco uh, in this particular uh, spot or, like, a, a, a high-ceiling SP2, I think, even you know, Carrasco could be that guy. So I like him a lot. There's certainly some risk in that, you know, in the injury slash, you know, health concerns, but overall he's fine. And I think Zach Wheeler kind of is Zach Wheeler. I know there's a lot of comps around, you know, him and um, him and Garrett Cole, obviously, but I just, um, I don't see it. Um, I think he's just kind of like consistently a guy who throws really hard, you know, minimizes some contact, but he's never had a knockout pitch. He's never had it. And I think that really puts a cap on the strikeout rate. You know, even the four seam, despite all of its velocity, like the swinging strike rate is still, you know, around 9%, which is very solid, but it's not that elite level that we see from some of the guys. Now, maybe he starts throwing that higher in the zone, um, you know, and and he's able to take that, uh, that next step um, as a result of that. But still he's lacking you know, uh, an off-speed pitch that he can really um, build off of. So who knows? Maybe he can get that step, but I think he's fine going where he's going. I think he's just kind of like a, um, 
you know, mid to high three ZRA, one, two whip guy with about a strikeout an inning. Like there's a lot of those guys out there. Um, and I think he's, I think he'll be fine. I, I like Wheeler quite a bit, especially as an SP3, because I'd love to have a guy that I know is going to have a sub four ERA and uh, give me a K in inning. I like that kind of stability with the innings he throws. Uh, it'll be interesting pitching in Citizen Bank Park all year, see how that goes. But uh, I do like Wheeler quite a bit. And round eight, I think there's a lot to like that. If you don't go heavy pitching early, I like him as an SP3. I love Carlos Carrasco. I've been all in on him in every mock I've done, everywhere I can get him. I try to get him. Um, people are still nervous about the injuries, like you said. And I've been saying, if he's pitching, he's healthy. Like, they're not going to pitch him otherwise. It's plain and simple to me. Um, the the question is how many innings after only going like 80 innings last year. I still think they can ramp him back up to like 170 to 180. He pitched 192 plus for two straight years. He's a strikeout machine year after year, which is what I love about Cookie. Um, he's older than people think, which is kind of funny to me, but uh, 28% K rate, 29.5, 28. You know what you're getting there. Limits the walks, uh, keeps the ball in the yard. There's not a lot not to like about Carlos Carrasco. So I, I'm, I'm big in on him again this year. Um, and uh, hopefully things go well and you get, you get a good, good amount of innings out of him. Like you said, he could be a sneaky SP2 at this point in the draft if you can get him, but if not, definitely an SP3. I like Wheeler quite a bit in this spot, too. I think both have nice upside, Carrasco's being the most. The difference is with Wheeler, we, for now, know he's healthy and should have no restrictions to him, where Carrasco, I guess, in the back of your mind, you still have to wonder, does anything come back type situation? But you can't really worry about that when you're going to draft him. He should be just fine and ready to roll. All right, round nine, where we have tons of pitchers in this one. We got Jesus Lazardo at 117, Frankie Montas at 118 or 119, uh, Lance Lynn at 124, Zach Gallon at 125, Madison Bumgarner or Mason at 126, Mason uh, Saunders, Mason Saunders, Max Freed at 127, and that wraps up because Shohei. Well, we had him on the list. Shohei Otani's at 131 now. He was at 130. So we have a uh, seven starting pitchers in round nine. What uh, strikes your fancy here? Yeah, I mean, the guys in this round that I really like, I like Lance Lynn a lot. Um, the velocity on his fastball was up two miles per hour. Again, you'll notice a trend, like a lot of the guys who take a big step forward each year, every year are the guys who increase their velocity. Lynn was just, he increased his velocity throughout the year. Like it just kept on going up, up, up. You know, dominant fastball doesn't even need dominant off-speed and breaking pitches to be effective. So I like uh, what he was able to do a lot. As long as the velocity is there, I think he can keep it up. Um, I like Max Fried a lot in this group. Um, he obviously uh, started throwing the slider a lot more in the second half. Um, he looked a lot better um, at that point in time. He did start to throw a sinker a little bit as well in the second half. I don't know if that's a positive development or not, but... Um, uh, it did, it did in fact happen, but he's a guy I think can take a, a nice step forward. Um, I think he's kind of, at least last year, he showed that he can be a control guy. You know, the walk rate was reasonable. Um, it improved as the season progressed because he was getting more chases outside the zone, throwing his slider and curveball more, um, fading his fastballs a little bit. Um, so I really like that development overall. He's on a good Braves team and I think he can really, uh, he did a great job of um, limiting hard contact last year in terms of barrel rate. 
So really like Freed as well. Um, uh, Lazardo, like I just, I won't get him here because the volume I don't think is going to be high enough. Like from people I trust, you know, it sounds like 120 innings or so will be the max, which isn't doesn't say that he won't be super successful, but I'd rather get his teammate, AJ Puck, at a much more discounted rate uh, than I would Jesus uh, Lazardo um, just at this spot because of the price. Frankie Montes, I think, I believe in everything that he did last year. I mean, the splitter was obviously the difference maker. I think the question is, right, like consistency and like inning pitch. Because yes, he missed a lot of time with the PED suspension and that wasn't being injured. But you still look at the the innings pitched and he has not pitched a lot of innings in the majors. And, you know, he ha- there he hasn't had a lot of time to pitch and have batters adjust to him and adjust back. And so I just think that, um, you know, I don't mind getting him at this spot, but I, I think he's, I think a lot of guys in this round are anything but a sure thing. Um, Zach Gallon as well, like he's obviously um, on a lot of people's um, board, like his price is depressed a little bit because of the whole, he's not going to be in the starting rotation, but that team wants to win. And so I think he will be. My major concern with him is the walk rate, you know, 10.8%. I think it did improve as the season progressed, but again, you know, like the larger sample size still has um, that higher walk rate. Um, he's got a nice, uh, a very nice arsenal, you know, 21% swing strike rate, 45% O swing on that changeup. Uh, the curveball is decent. The slider is decent. Uh, the fastball is just kind of uh, meh. But, um, you know, having that type of repertoire, I think, is very uh, good in terms of uh, keeping you successful. Uh, Madison Bumgarner, I'm interested to see what he does. I mean, he has made adjustments and continued to be relatively successful. I know everybody points to, like, the home road splits, but there's a lot of pitchers that have really bad um, home road splits. Mad Bum is certainly not the only one. It's not just the park. It's, you know, being comfortable, sleeping at home. Uh, It's being familiar with the ballpark. It's getting the calls. Um, All of that stuff, I think, kind of goes into that, but he still doesn't have a four ERA or higher, you know, in any season that he's ever pitched. I know that the Diamondbacks are really smart about how they use pitchers and they were talking about using his changeup and then they felt like it could be a more effective pitch for him. So I'm really interested to see what they do with him just from a volume perspective. I think he would be, um, you know, he would be kind of interesting, you know, in this spot, just because I do think among all these guys, if you were to say like, who's going to throw, um, you know, 200 innings, like I would probably go with, uh, with Mad Bum in that particular case. Um, but, um, yeah, so they're all, they're all interesting for their different reasons. I'm generally the only guys that I've gotten out of this group is Freed and Lynn. And that's generally if they fall a little bit, which has been happening less and less, um, with Otani, like, I just don't even know if he's going to pitch next year. Like he's not even going to start pitching until May, you know, I think there's just a lot of questions. And so I think he's, I think it's more like, he's kind of like his own position. We should do our own position preview of Shohei Otani. <laughs> just like him by himself to figure out what exactly to do with him, because he could be super valuable if he doesn't end up pitching, because that means he's going to hit more. But, um, you know, I think right now, like I'm not getting him just because I think in a, in weekly leagues, he poses, poses a lot of challenges In daily leagues. I think it's a different story. Yeah, Shogun's Otani does not look like a pitcher right now. He looks like he's going to just drop bombs all over the diamond and uh, not throw at all. So who knows what he's doing. Yes, he's a, he's a tough one, and I'm not drafting him at all in weekly leagues. It just doesn't work. 
Daily leagues, sure. Weekly leagues, I want no desire of Shohei Otani at all. Uh, Max Fried, I'm in love with. I have him on almost every league I have so far. I absolutely everything I love about him. And I've talked to different pitcher guys about him, which is he's scary with a nice power sinker. Uh, he limits the, the hard contact. Like I know I talk about Exo Bacon a lot, and I, I just love – I know you've had Alex's pitch leaderboard way longer than I have, but I just love toying with it. I'm still learning things. But a, a Will Bacon, a 392, but an Exo Bacon, a 360, that's a pretty significant drop-off in my opinion. That, that, that's pretty nice. And the, another thing I like, he's a um, nice gains in the um, in the, uh, the the hard contact, soft contact range. Like I said, limits all of that kind of stuff. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of what he does. 62% weak contact is uh, very, very exciting to me. And, and gets good ground ball, 55%, near 55% ground ball rate. And he just gives up all those home runs, but like you were saying with other guys, doesn't walk a ton of guys, so he makes some solo homers, which makes my life so much easier. A 6.3% walk rate last year, I can definitely live with. So Max Freed, I, I, I'm a huge, huge fan of. Zach Gallon, I like a lot as well. I hope people keep not drafting him because of false uh, false reports. They want to win. He's pitching, plain and simple. He dominated his spring training performance. I know it's spring training, but he's this good of a pitcher. Like he's going to be just fine. He's got like ace potential in this staff. He like Bumgarner can be the number two to Zach Gallon at some point in time. It wouldn't shock me. Gallon is that good, and uh, the X stats show it. He's one of the biggest gains in K minus X K uh, walk minus X walk, and then. XK to walk percentage is 24% compared to 18.3. That's pretty sexy. That's uh, There's a lot to like there with Zach Gallon. So Freed and Gallon, I, I love here. Lance Lynn's a great pick, like you said. The increased velocity. They made some big changes with him, and hopefully that carries over again into the new park in Texas. Like I'd rather have Lynn than Corey Kluber on his own team. So that's a very uh, great spot there. Frankie Montas, another guy I'm with you. The splitter is filthy. The pitch mix, no one could touch it. Yes, he got busted for roids, but he's back, and uh, I believe everything he did was was legit. Uh, Bumgarner, I don't mind it if he's like your fourth pitcher. He's just kind of a cheaper Kershaw to me. The ratios might not be as good, but I said it last year, and he started to show it. He's learning how to pitch. He's, his stuff's not as good, and he showed it a lot of times last year. He's learning how to pitch, um, so we'll see how, how the move to Arizona and everything works. I've been with you. I don't really believe too much in the uh, – the home road split talk. I'll let that one go for another day. Lazardo's awesome, but you're correct with the puck call. They're going to be the same guy for the most part. Especially innings wise, puck's a lot cheaper. So I like Montas, Lynn, Gallon, Freed. My favorites are Freed and Gallon. I want a lot of those guys as often as I can. So those would be my main targets in this range. All right, let's go to round 10. I only got two guys in round 10. My goodness. Danelis and Lamit at 135. Erod at one forty four. Give me your hot takes. Um. Yeah, with Lamet, I, I just uh, it's a similar concern that I have with Paddock, where he doesn't have that second pitch. I know on some, I think it's Baseball Savant, he throws two different pitches. But in listening to the Rates and Barrels podcast with Eno and and DVR, um, you know, Eno was just talking about how he's not quite sure that that is actually two different pitches, but that there's just such a lack of consistency with the way that he can throw it, that it may show up that way. Um, and so, you know, again, walk rate 9.6% um, in his previous stint, 11.1% generally control is the last thing to come back or command is the last thing to come back after Tommy John surgery. So it's just too many concerns with uh, getting hit uh, very, very hard. Um, and, 
you know, I, I can see him being kind of like a Robbie Ray, maybe a little bit. Um, but he doesn't have the track record quite yet. And so I'm, I have not been getting any shares of Lamette and maybe I will be, I will look foolish, um, in a little bit because of that. I also don't have any shares of Erod as well. He looked better towards the end of last season, you know, strikeout rate went back, back up. The walk rate was headed down. He's got that great change up. Um, you know, and even his fastball last year was pretty good at 11 and a half percent swinging strike rate on that pitch, but he just hasn't been able to be consistent. He's frequently injured. And so again, like these are all the reasons why I'm kind of steering clear in a lot of ways of, you know, this group of uh, pitchers outside of a few of the ones that I've, that I've talked about that I feel better about um, their ability to be successful on a consistent basis. But I'm trying to avoid as many of these kind of toss-ups as I as I can. This is an interesting spot. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, I do like quite a bit. Uh, I'm worried jumping from 130 to uh, or about 140 to 200 innings is quite the jump, but he did it and he did it well. Back-to-back years of great ratios of 382, 381 ERA. Uh, the strikeouts weren't nearly as high last year, but still 25% compared to like 26.5% K rate. The walks around eight to nine. Is, is consistent. So that's always the thing with Erod. It's like, can you just get through six innings? And I, I, I need to double check, but I'm pretty positive just from watching him enough. It's like third time through the order, he gets dinged up. And I guarantee I could probably look at Jason Collette's timeline and he'd have it somewhere on there. But he seems to just be that guy that gets beat up third time through the order. Because otherwise, really good. Um, you know, Exo Bacon at 343 compared to 366. Strikeout rate, like I said, is good. The walk rate's about right. Uh, barrel rate, this is one that I love. Uh, 5.9% barrels last year. X barrel of 2.9. He definitely knows how to limit the damage. And that's why if he gets increased that walk rate or decrease it, I guess, depending on glass half full, glass half empty, how you look at things, uh, he could be sneaky, sneaky good and show some very, very positive gains in that direction. So I like gambling on Erod. He's usually like my fourth or fifth starter. I think the upside's Big time there with him. Uh, Danellis and Lamette, I want nothing to do with. You nailed on so many things. I really – I said I don't really get the Woodruff love. I guess I said when, you know, Shuri strikes out, guys, the data shows he limits the hard contact. Okay, if you want to play that game, I, I got you. But Lamette, I just don't see because the walk rates always intrigues me. Um, doesn't Hasn't thrown a lot of innings. Like how many innings is he realistically going to go this year? We were talking about Lazardo and Puck at 120. Do you think we get maybe 150 from Lament? Is that his max? Is that good enough for you? Because I'd rather go somewhere else if I know that's his max. That kind of concerns me. So, yeah, give me Erod. No Donelson Lament for me. All right, round 11. It gets a little more interesting now. I got Julio Urias, who is officially a starter or announced as a starter in the Dodgers rotation at 147. We have Hungjin Ryu at 153, Robbie Ray at 153, and your boy, Kyle Hendricks at 157. Round 11 has one of your favorites, Toby. What do you like here? I like Kyle Hendricks a lot. Next. (laughs) Um, So, uh, uh, yeah, I just love Hendricks. I mean, like, every year he's the same guy, and his his price just dropped. So I love having him as in my SP3 with the two starting pitchers just because I'm getting a lot of strikeouts. Um, I'm getting good ratios, hopefully, with all of – the top end starting pitchers. And then you get a guy who gets to reinforce the good ratios who may not have the strikeout rate, but is just so damn consistent. I mean, never had an ERA over four the last 
five years, the last four years, 213, 303, 344, 346, whip 0.98, 119, 115, 113. Like he's just super consistent. He's on a good team. He just all in all, um, you know, a solid, solid guy that I, that I uh, like a lot. So he's kind of my target within this range. Um, I like Urias. I, I just think like now that he's officially in that rotation with the Dodgers, you know, the innings are going to be limited, but I think he can be very good. The one concern I do have is with uh, the control uh, metrics. He was not uh, terrific with the control metrics. Um, last year, his walk rate, his walk rate was at 8.3%. Um, but I think like, you know, his first pitch strike rate is below average. His zone percentage is below average. He does get people to chase a decent amount, but the walks are a little bit of an issue. He is, it was his first year, his first somewhat full year back, um, from surgery. And so, you know, again, control is one of the last things that pitchers get back. So I expect him to improve in that range. You know, I think you can kind of lock lock him in for like a mid threes ERA, uh, a fairly low whip, and more than a strikeout an inning. And the volume won't be great, but I think at this point in the draft, I'm much more comfortable taking a shot on him, especially in a Dodgers team that just like they just produce good pitchers um, over and over again. Robbie Ray is a guy that I probably won't have. The whip is just too scary for me. I own him in one dynasty league, but the whip just freaks the hell out of me. Um, you know, I like to get good whip guys, generally speaking, um, and he certainly isn't that. And then Hyunjin Ryu, I just think um, I'm not in on him. He's going a little early. The Ray, the Blue Jays is certainly a big downgrade from the Dodgers for a lot of reasons. And they've also talked about how they're going to limit him as well to around, I think, 150 innings. And so, you know, they're looking out in the future next year, the year after that, and they want to make sure he's healthy so they're not going to push him. And he may not even be around uh, for the for the home stretch. So of these guys, Kyle Hendricks easily my number one, and then I think Urias after that is the guy that I'm interested in. Yeah, Hendricks for sure number one here. We kind of hit on him a lot. Uh, great ratios, just consistently really good at what he does. He's Greg Maddox late, and uh, I like everything about that. Urias is interesting. He's kind of in that Luzardo puck range, maybe 130 innings or so. Really, really good stuff. We just haven't seen it full go yet, but uh, don't mind it at all. Uh, the, the overall dominance, the stuff we know is there just consistently through the season will be interesting to see it play out. I'm a huge Robbie Ray fan. I totally understand the skepticism because he walks everybody. It is ridiculous. I literally sat behind a game in when it was actually known as AT&T Park, behind home plate, and I watched Robbie Ray just dominate, but he also just paints. I mean, he just wants to paint, and when he's not painting properly, it's just disgusting. It, it's so bad because his stuff's really, really good, but Last year, 11.2%, 18, 13 Those are walk percentages the last three years. That's horrible because he got 31.5, 31.4, 32.8% strikeout rates. He's filthy, absolutely filthy, but his uh, whip rates will they'll make you set back a little bit. His ERA is not great either, so it's one of those – if you, it's like the Trevor Bauer argument I had. Do you want to take the gamble on he finally figures it out? If you can figure it out, he's going to be very, very good. Like stinky good. He's gonna be 28 this year. Uh, maybe he finally gets it right and stops, you know, you know, teetering around the the corners of the plate and just attacks guys with his good stuff. Then again, he might just walk guys because that might be who he is. It's his three straight years of showing the same tendencies over and over again. I think the stuff's amazing. 
Um, if he's like your fourth or fifth, go for it. Just realize maybe find someone to help you ratio somewhere else because he's probably going to hurt you a bit, but his strikeout rate's elite. They should win some games there in Arizona. I like him. Just realize it's risky as heck. It's not a Toby-type pitcher. It's more of a me-taking-chances-type pitcher that uh, fits the mold with Robbie Ray because I, I think his stuff's great. But, man, does he walk too many guys certain outings. That's so, so annoying. All right, round 12 as we're getting towards the end here. David Price at 164, Matty Boyd at 167, Kenta Maeda at 170, and Sean Manaya at 173. Uh, we're getting into a lot of similarities when it comes to these pitchers. What do you got for round 12? Yeah, I'm a hard fade on Manaya. Um, I just think, you know, the injury history – the lack of velocity, he way outperformed uh, his metrics last year. He was very lucky. So I just don't, I just don't see being able to pay the cost. Uh, David Price is certainly interesting with the Dodgers, uh, but I also think last year um, he was a little bit uh, lucky. You know, he had his highest strikeout rate of his career, despite having a swinging strike rate um, lower uh, than what he has had throughout his career. Um, his CSW was okay at, um, 30%, so better than league average, but not where you would anticipate with a strikeout rate like 28%. So I think that that is going to come down um, a little bit, but pitching with the Dodgers certainly helps him um, out considerably. So I think he's he's fine. Um, not somebody that I'm targeting, but you know, there's a little bit of something there. Like there's there's uh, I can't remember who who said it. I think it, maybe it's Matt Modica talks about the magic of the Dodgers mound that just turns pitchers into terrific pitchers, but, um, you know, he's got that going for him. But the two guys that I really want um, going here, Matthew Boyd and Kenta Maeda, I think Maeda has always been a really good pitcher and he's been limited because of the Dodgers and that contract that he has with them always shipping him to the bullpen. Um, but that I don't think is going to happen with the twins. And so he's just a really good pitcher. You know, he gives up a little bit. He has some quality of contact issues. Um, Maeda does. Um, so I don't think the ERA is going to be super low, but he's the type that I like here because this ERA is going to be um, reasonable um, and the whip should be strong because he doesn't walk um, uh, a ton of guys, although his walk rate is actually higher than I anticipated. So maybe I lied about that, um, but <laughs> it doesn't seem like he walks a lot of guys, but his whip the last four years, 114, 115, 126, 107. Strikes out more than a guy per inning, um, has a really nice arsenal, So, and he's pitching in the AL Central. So I really like him a lot. And then I also like Matthew Boyd. Um, I like Matthew Boyd because last year, you know, from the CSW perspective, um, from a CSW minus ball percentage, um, he looked really, really good. Um, it was just the quality of contact that he was giving up. I don't know if he's a 189 home run per nine guy. Like if he can bring that down into Bieber levels, then I, I'd feel pretty good. 30% strikeout rate, a 23.8% K minus walk rate, 14% swinging strike rate. Everything looks really, really good. Even though he got crushed, he had a one, two, three whip. He's a very analytically oriented guy. And so that also interests me, although that's not anything that I would actually like put money on because think of Trevor Bauer. But the thing that I really like about him is that he, he has a really good slider. The fastball has gotten better, and he knows how to throw it. And um, and he has had the changeup. The changeup has been a good pitch for him in the past. 
Um, you know, his changeup once had a 21.6% swinging strike rate um, it, and a 16.2% swinging strike rate, but he's kind of lost it. And so either bringing that or his curveball, um, you know, improving that pitch, like I'm hopeful that maybe there could be a third third pitch that comes in. And, and I think at this point in the draft, I feel a lot more comfortable making those type of assessments. Like if he changes his pitch mix a little bit, he could be a lot better versus doing that for a guy like, you know, um, who did we talk about? Uh, or like Chris Paddock or something like that. So uh, I like Matt Boyd a lot. I've been getting Boyd, Freed, Hendricks, and Maeda as kind of my SP3 in a lot of drafts. I, I'm with you on Maeda. I, I just, I'm curious how many innings we get out of him. You know, the projections, ATC 157, Steamer 154, the bat 160. It's that's pretty good because the, we know the, the strikeouts, the ratios, the whip uh, are pretty strong, and he keeps the ball in the ballpark in the AL Central. So no problem with Maeda at all. I like David Price. I know there's always a concern with injury, but give me 150 good David Price innings in in, in LA, and I'm on board. The strikeout stuff's still there at a very high end level, 28% last year after back to back 24, 24 and a half percent ratios. Uh, the walk rate's around seven percent. It's like kind of a career thing for him. So usually his whip's not going to kill you about one one five to one two zero decent ERA strikeout upside going to the Dodgers going to get W's I like David Price quite a bit at this range uh, Matty Boyd he's he's a gamble to me because I like I agree with what you said we you just got to hope the the home runs drop down but man one eight nine one four three the year before I guess one four three is doable and that's a heck of an improvement from where he was the strikeout stuff was great no hiding that at all that was outstanding stuff but uh he still scares me quite a bit at this point in the draft i get it but man what he did to people's rosters towards the end of last year was was uh was grand larceny he stole your stats so um that was that was pretty rough there but i i don't hate it at all it's pretty much maeda and price for me in this range if you want to gamble on boyd you can but i'd rather probably go elsewhere at that point in the draft all right, round 13, Lance McCullers at 175. You got Mike Miner at 176. Herman Marquez at 177. Jake Odorizzi at 185. And Luke Weaver at 189. As we're rounding it out here, Toby, any of these guys excite you? Um, Not really, to be honest. Uh, Marquez, I just don't think in like 15 teams or even 12 teams with a short bench that he's good enough to roster just to start on the road. Like, I just think that that's too much to put into a player where you can't start him for half the starts. I mean, think about what he did against the Dodgers uh, or not, not against the Dodgers. That would have been something different. What he did against the giants last year, you know, you thought you could start him at that, at least at home. And it turns out that you couldn't. And so I just think that's just too much of a roster um, nightmare there. Um, for Lance McCullers, again, like the volume is, is a question, you know, and I don't think I've, we've seen like him be really good yet. And so like, I'd rather have Lizardo than, well, I mean, not at their value, but I'd rather have AJ Puck than, than, um, McCullers. I mean, look at McCullers, like, yes, he had an ERA of three, two, two in two consecutive years, but in one of those years, his whip was one, five, four. You know, and a one one nine in the other. You know, twenty seventeen four two five ERA, one three whip. 
So, uh, you know, he hasn't really put it together completely. Like you take his three, eight, six and one, one, seven, but if control is the last thing to come around after, you know, Tommy John surgery and his walk percentage was 9.5% in his last full season, you know, I just think, um, full ish season. Cause he doesn't really pitch full seasons. I'm just not that um, interested with him. And I think the, the innings level is going to be low. Um, I'm out on Mike minor this year. He had a drastic or not a drastic dip, but a dip in his velocity um, as the season progressed last year and just got hit around pretty good um, later on in the year. Solid innings guy, but I just worry a little bit about the whip and the quality of contact. And so I'm not a huge fan of his this year. Um, Odorizzi is probably the guy out of this group that I am most interested in. Um, he, you know, had some periods of, of sustained success. You know, last year he pitches in the AL Central. Uh, the Twins know how to have their pitchers work, and they've been very stringent with him, just keeping him two times through the order mostly. You know, everything looks good. 19% swinging, uh, 19% K-minus walk rate, close to a 13% swinging strike rate. You know, the walk rate is a little higher than I would like, but it has improved um, from what he did in previous seasons. Um, he's also faded the sinker, and that kind of helped uh, reignite um, his success during the year. Um, and so I think for that reason, um, I, I haven't been targeting Odorizzi, but I think out of all of this group, um, he's the guy that I uh, that I like the most. Um, and then um, with, uh, with Luke Weaver, there's obviously the injury history. Um, he did pitch well to start last season, and I do trust the Diamondbacks as uh, an organization. Um, but, like, again, like, skills aren't off the charts. Um, he did have a nice K-minus walk rate last year, but the swinging strike rate at 10.4%. Um, um, I think it was a, was it a cutter that he had that he was using last year that helped um, him be successful. Either way, there's just too much injury history. Um, you know, to really go, uh, go after it. Yeah, he did throw a cutter, but it wasn't that helpful. The changeup was decent. Um, I don't know. I I'm, I know people really like Weaver, and I I just can't get on board with it. Yeah, I don't really get the Weaver love either. A, he's not going to throw that many innings, I don't think. And B, yeah, he was good at certain times, but other times looked kind of, you know, pedestrian. And he, let me see it for a full season, not just like a month or so of the season, two months of the season. So I'll, I'll be passing on Weaver. Odorizzi is very intriguing. We saw some goods. We saw some bads. He doesn't go deep into innings. Only 160 innings and 30 starts is not what you're really looking for. Sure, he does strike out 27% and 8% walk rate, so the walks are still high. Strikeouts are good. He doesn't go deep into games. So it's kind of a tough spot here. Uh, I agree he's not horrible at this point in the draft. You know, when you really break it down, it's pick 185. Round 13 is not too bad, so I don't mind Odorizzi if you want to go there. Mike Miner's overall numbers were pretty decent last year, but uh, he ended in a, a blaze of glory. It, it was rough. Might not have been like Matt Boyd giving up home runs everywhere rough, but um, it was not great. He didn't strike out as many guys as you'd like in the grand schemes. 23% K rate to go to an 8% walk rate. Not what you're hoping for for a guy that threw that many innings and uh, had that many chances to uh, get your strikeouts. Really wasn't there. So Miner's tough for me. I think last year was great, but not going to happen again. Uh, for those that have listened to my shows long enough, I will never hurt Mon Marquez and usually never Rockies. That's just – pitching just doesn't happen. So not a thing. 
I love Lance McCullers. I just don't know how many innings. Is it 100 innings, 130 innings? Real tricky to say what McCullers is going to do. So I'm 100% with you. It's Jake Odorizzi or bust in this range for me. Probably just a bust. Probably going to go take a, a bat or something or a relief pitcher. We passed up on you know Ian Kennedy, Carlos Martinez, Sean Doolittle, Joe Jimenez, Keona Kella, Gianni Gallegos, Mark Melanson. All those guys are right there. So all kinds of guys to take a peek at. Let's go to round 14. Wrap it up here. James Paxton at 201. Fulton Nevich at 202. Andrew Heaney at 205. What do you think of the last three here in the first half of the draft? Yeah, I don't think I can take – I mean, Paxton, it sounds like his um, uh, he's get his uh, date of return is getting moved up a little bit maybe. But I still – I think in an NFBC format where you only have seven, seven bench slots, I just don't think I can uh, – pick him and and hold on to him for however long it takes for him to get healthy. And that assumes that he's going to maintain his health. Um, so I'm kind of, I'm, I'm out on him, but if you have an IL, I would definitely um, pick him up if you can or draft him, you know, um, around pick 200 and just slot him in the IL. I know that happened to us in, in the bark draft. Um, somebody did that. Um, Mason. Uh, Justin did that. Yes. He loves his, his IL guys. Um, Mike fulton uh, is a guy that I'm not really that interested in. You know, again, he's one of these guys where you look at his career numbers and it's just like one wheat year stands out above the rest. And that was 2018, like his 2019 and every year before then doesn't look anything remotely like that. His fastballs, he throws them hard, but they're just not good. You know, five and a half percent swinging strike rate on both of them. So that's just going to really limit. Um, the K's, you know, to even below league average. Um, and then uh, with Andrew Heaney, you know, Heaney's tough because the K minus walk rate, everything looks really, really good. But all you got to do is look at that uh, home run per nine uh, that he has. Um, you know, he's got 189 last year, 135 the year before that. Four nine eight and only twenty innings, so small sample size. Three point seven seven and then one eight four. He just gets absolutely destroyed um, from a batted ball perspective. Um, he's just never been able to put it together. And I know it's super tempting to look at that K minus walk rate and think that he's going to take it to the next level, but um, I just, I just, I have to see that he's not going to get absolutely uh, destroyed, uh, before I take a gamble, um, you know, on, uh, on a guy like him. Um, you know, he is kind of similar to Matt Boyd, not to point out, you know, uh, an error in my own logic, but, um, uh, I just like, he hasn't even like, like Matt Boyd had the first half of the season, you know, before everything blew up and, he hasn't even been able to really put that, um, you know, together that much. So maybe, maybe I should be in on Heaney, but I just think he he gets hit way too hard for me. Yeah, Heaney's a tough one. I know everybody loves him, but uh, there's a lot of questions there that I'd pass on. Um, I, I agree with, with Paxton. If you have an IL spot, please grab him. Like, take advantage of that. Might miss a couple months. You'll get something out of it in the end. Non uh, IL leagues, it's tough. It's real tough to uh, grab him. Just keep a close eye on your waiver wire if he doesn't get drafted. But you know, someone will take the chance. It just won't be me in most leagues. But yeah, Heaney, Tricky, Paxton, 
Not so much. Fulte's question, like, I don't get him. 21% K rate last year, 21% in 2017, 27 in 2018. He was so good there. He showed signs of life at time in 2019. Just no consistency at all to really keep you coming in there. But, um, yeah, God, I wish he could figure it out. But I'll be passing on him. I guess if I had to pick one guy, it'd be Paxton and I.L. Heaney, if you want to gamble. Otherwise, I pretty much stay out of this range. It's really uh, not the best of range. There's some guys coming up that I'd rather talk uh, talk myself into than uh, in this round 14 grouping of three. All right, so we, we made it through 57 pitchers. I counted them at one point in time. Oof. We got a couple listener questions, though. So let's wrap these up. We answered them in roundabout ways, I believe. But um, loyal listener Nathan Coleman at Jayhawk Chalk. Between the Indians and the Astros, which back into the rotation provides more fantasy upside? Um, I would say the Astros with Josh James and her kitty, but uh, what do you say? Yeah, I would go with the Astros. I'm not a huge fan of the back end of the Cleveland bullpen. I know a lot of people are like Aaron Savale a lot, um, and I'm just not. I'm not that. Uh, I'm not that into him. I just think he gives up too much contact. And um, I think he got a little lucky last year. Same with like Plezak and Plutko and all of those guys. I'm just not that into them. So I agree. Josh James, I think, and, and Jose Urquidy um, are really nice there. And um, yeah, I think I think they they could be really good. Urquidy in particular, I think, uh, has what it has what it takes. So it should be really interesting uh, to see what happens. I mean, the one thing that I'll say is for all the rah-rah-rah about the Astros and their player development system, you know, they've taken a lot of good major league ball players and made them great, but they haven't really graduated any pitchers of mm-hmm. note from their actual system. So it'll be a, an interesting test of that for sure. Yeah. And they also might see Forrest Whitley at some point in the year too, which would be quite intriguing. Uh, second half of his question, we just answered actually two rounds ago in round 13, all, uh, thoughts on like pitchers with clear limits like Lance McCullers. I think for the most part we pass unless they're like you know AJ Puck. Lazardo's price is kind of too high for the situation. They're interesting, but it's kind of tough. To, like uh, McCullers, what's he going to do? 100, 130 innings. So that's the way I see it. I think you're pretty close to that. Yeah, yeah. I, I tend to steer clear of pitchers who are already injured or even coming back from injury. Um, the best uh, predictor of future injury is previous injury. So I just steer clear of it. And also I play in leagues mostly that have very limited bench slots. And so it's kind of like you're choosing to use one of your seven bench slots for this guy, which impacts your ability to churn your roster and to maximize your in-season maneuvering um, to, to maximize value and then, you know, and you don't even know if the guy is going to pitch healthily. You don't even know if they're going to pitch well, assuming health. There's just so many, like, if they do this, if they do this, if they do this, then they're going to contribute a lot that I just tend to steer clear. Yeah, no doubt about it. At HJS561, uh, we hit on this earlier in the pub. We'll remind them real quick. In my last few drafts, I've been taking a top guy, Cole DeGrom, Verlander, Max Bueller. And then, so he likes you a lot, Toby. And then waiting until the fifth or sixth. I don't blame you know, him, by the way. And then wait until the fifth or sixth of the 12 team league to take my SP2. He's been targeting Morton, Darvish, again, 12 team, not 15 team. 
But are there guys you two like more that are in that spot? Great pod. Keep it up. Uh, I'll give real quick. Uh, Morton Darvish are great. I got no problem with that. I like Corbin. I love Sale, if you can get there. Uh, those would be kind of guys I'd be targeting as your SP2. Um, did you want to give them your SP2s once again? Um, yeah, that, that's that's pretty much the same um, for me. Uh, I really like Charlie Morton in that spot. I like Lucas Giolito a lot. So those would be the two in that area that I'm targeting. Um, but there's none of them that I really mind all that much, except for maybe, I guess I'm lowest on on Paddock um, of that group, Paddock and, and Corbin. Uh, loyal listener at Taylor underscore Bauer 11. Am I crazy still be, to still be taking Clevenger as early as the early third round? Crazy? No. Probably wouldn't do it, though, is what I would say. Um, I love Clevenger. I, I, if he wasn't hurt, he'd be a second-round pick for me. Like, I was going early on him. But um, I'd rather, like we talked about, I'd gamble on sale in that range, Blake Snell, before hitting up Clevenger. Um, if, if, if he's the only one left there, say pitching went crazy, sure. But I'd wait. What's your thoughts on Clev in the third? Yeah, I think we talked about this um, a lot. I just wouldn't um... – I just, I wouldn't, I, I just think that there's, Clevenger is really good. He was injured last year. He came back and was really good. But I just have trouble spending that type of draft capital on a pitcher that's already hurt, who has been hurt in previous seasons. Um, it just doesn't rub me the right way. And I'd rather, I'd rather get like a, uh, a, a Charlie Morton or a Lucas Giolito you know, in the back end of the third, early fourth, or even later than that, um, then, you know, uh, spend that type of draft capital on, on Clevenger. At breaking Ben underscore T, he has two questions. One was how early would you take Clevenger? We just answered that, Ben, so you're good there. And then the other question, do you trust Scherzer's health? I know we were both concerned. I still believe he's like that fifth or sixth starting pitcher. You still take off the board but I'm not jumping Bueller and company because I am factoring the back end. What are your thoughts on Scherzer's health again? Yeah. I mean, I think he seems to be really healthy, healthy. He had a full off season. He's throwing already. He already had a spring start. He topped out at 98 in that start. And normally you sit about three miles per hour below what you top out at. So, you know, he's already at around 95, which is what he pitched at last year. So I feel pretty good about his health so far. I do want to see him complete spring without, you know, any issues. But if we head towards March and he, everything looks on track, then I'm bumping him up and, and I don't mind having him as my SP1 drafted in the first round. No doubt about it. Uh, two more questions from the same person at SMMS. Um, first off, I think this is easy. How close is Brandon Woodruff to joining the elite tier, if at all, in your eyes? He's not elite tier for me. I'm pretty sure you share the same sentiments. Um, um, yeah, <laughs> sorry. Which, who was it? I'm sorry. I, I, I got lost in the spring training velocity looking at Max Scherzer there. <laughs> I was like, uh, I, got, I drifted. My eyes drifted to Jose Barrios, 95. In his ooh, that's good to see. Spring training that's, start. My three think things. Averaged, but that's two miles per hour more than what he threw at last year. So sorry, 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 podcast listeners, I got distracted. Uh, uh, how cl- how close how close is Brandon Woodruff to joining the elite tier, if at all, in your eyes? Uh, he is not close. Yes. Um, 
according to me. Um, yeah, I feel the same. I just, we discussed him earlier in the podcast, so I won't go into detail, but I just, I think he was pretty lucky last year. Um, but I've been wrong a lot of times before, so this could be another example of that. And then the second part of this question, and it's kind of good because we talk a lot of 15 teams on this podcast, but in smaller leagues, like 10 teamers, generally speaking, how does this change your approach to drafting starting pitchers in general? More risk, less. How about leagues that use quality starts instead of wins? Um, real quickly for me, I think if I can get an ace or two, it helps just kind of lock it down for me in a smaller league. At the same time, you, it, depending on the size of your bench, you can load up on uh, and stream a lot more to uh, make things work. So a little different in 10 teams leagues. I think you either go just go for the jugular and take uh, like three aces or something or go to a streaming platform that you can trust because either way you can rack up the stats. What do you do in a smaller league? Yeah, I mean, I don't play any 10-team league, so I, I may not be the best person to answer this, but generally speaking, the fewer the teams in the league, you know, the higher the replacement value. And so there's a lot less that separates people. So you got to focus on the things that are true separators uh, between players because, like, in a 10-team league, counting stats aren't really separators because, you know, everybody that's going to be rostered can get you runs and, and RBI. So things like stolen bases and batting average seem to be separators. And then when it comes to pitching, I think if you look at the overall like arc or like not arc, but like the curve of pitching values you have right now, at least like, so for instance, in my values, and this is 15 teams, this is not 10 teams. So this is going to change, but essentially like at the top, you have Cole at $36, Berlander at $34, DeGrom at 32, Scherzer at 32, $5 drop down to Bueller, well, $4 drop down to Bueller at 28, you know, two drop after that. But pretty soon, like after, you know, at pitcher number like 20, you're already down to like $15, right? So there's a huge gap. So I would, what I would suggest is trying to get one of those top guys, the Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, Jason, uh, Jacob DeGrom, Max Scherzer, Walker Bueller guys. I'd probably go for like, it, I don't even think you'd have to do pocket aces in this instance, but like I'd go after one of those guys and then hopefully one of those, you know, like second tier guys. Um, I think you just, I think I'd play it pretty similar. And then I just wait a really long time to get pitchers because the replacement value is going to be pretty high. Streaming, like Bubba mentioned, is, is a lot easier to do. And I also think you're much more likely to find a guy who's available on the waiver wire who becomes a really big thing. Um, so I would, I would just, um, yeah, get two aces and then call it a day on pitching for a really long time. Yeah. Cause literally like the next preview podcast we do over half the guys we talk about will be under waiver wire. So, and these are guys we have to draft and start. So that'll tell you exactly how much you can stream because we're starting them regularly. So there's a lot of, a lot of things you can do there, but, uh, that'll wrap us up on our starting pitching preview part one. We'll be back next Wednesday, Toby. Any final thoughts? Uh, no, thanks everybody for listening to these uh, the pot, the position previews. It's been a lot of fun to get through them. Um, and you know, starting pitching is tough. You guys all, I think, by this point in time, know know my strategy and my focus. Get those top end guys. Um, don't worry about this glob we covered towards the back end of the podcast, and take your shots with some of the guys that we'll cover later on um, in in. Uh, the podcast or next week in the podcast, I guess.
Yeah, it's fun because I like a lot of the topping guys that you like, but I also I like to navigate the, the glob here in the middle. So it's a, it's an interesting way to build these, see how it plays out this year. But it's a lot of fun to talk about them because there's a lot of different ways to look at pitching. And I don't think there's any one right way The weird because there's a lot of great guys that do it and do it a lot of weird ways. So um, I hope that made sense to anybody that listened to that. But there, it's uh, pitching's a very deep, uh, deep position and a lot of ways to go about it. But uh, check out Toby on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. I'm at BD Entry, and this is Bubba and the Bat Flip episode 26. Catch you guys later.